Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Good Judgment Judgment Podcast. Podcast. Folks, this is a podcast that's purpose is for Georgia judges or anybody else who might be interested in what goes on in the courtroom. Please understand that we are Georgia-focused, meaning that we are going to focus our attention on issues that arise under Georgia law, but occasionally we will get into some subjects of common interest. And we really appreciate you folks listening. And as we go to the studio audience, we ask, please hold your applause till the end. All right, now to the studio. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And today we've decided to update some of our previous discussions about court proceedings during this judicial emergency. This episode is going to deal more with nuts and bolts kind of issues relating to uh, using video technology in the courtroom. You know, Tane, there have now been five, count them, five judicial emergency orders. We've decided, you and I talked about it, and we've decided the time is right to discuss how we have actually been conducting court during the judicial emergencies and share some lessons that we have, frankly, learned the hard way. Tane, have you been conducting many hearings during this, I guess, most recent edition of the judicial emergencies? Absolutely. You know, Wade, we've really come a long way since we first started this judicial emergency thing three or four years ago. Wait, hold up. Three or four years ago, it's only been six months. Wait, are are you sure about that? Because it really seems like it's been about three or four years. I mean, March 14th. Okay. March 14th. It was March 14th, 2020, though, right? This is 2022, <laughs> yeah, right? two, three. Uh, well, anyway, uh, however long it's been, you know, in my jurisdiction, we started out just doing emergency things. And I'm sure most of the view, that's kind of what you did as well. I mean, we had things like hearings to get nonviolent offenders out of jail where possible. Um, and in fact, we're still using a WebEx video link from our jail, but We've also moved on to conducting other essential criminal proceedings. I mean, I've done a million pleas since this judicial emergency started back in March, and I'm sure you have too, Wade. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I've done motions hearings, and uh, I've done arraignments. I've really done everything in between. And I've also done motions for new trial and, and from the Department of Corrections and several other things. On the civil side, I've also done a large number of domestic proceedings. I've done bench trials and many, many, many motions hearings. We're also hearing a lot of emergency and non-emergency custody matters. There's really not much that we haven't tried to do uh, by video hearing. I'm really encouraging in my court that everything be done remotely, and I'm strongly discouraging in-court appearances. Um, The way that I do that basically is by sending out notifications, and I'm sure you've done this too, and we'll talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of how to do it in a minute, but we send out notifications specifically for video hearings, sending people links, telling them how to sign on, and giving them some instructions. We have a whole instruction sheet on on how to get on Zoom or get on WebEx, and if you haven't ever done it before, how to sign yourself in or download the program. Um, And... What I do is if it also says on there, if you, you know, if you don't want to do a proceeding or cannot do the proceeding by video that you need to specifically contact my office for the people who have contacted my office. And there really haven't been that many, but for the people who have, um, what we've said is, look, the hearings that we have set up on these particular dates are set up for video hearings only. We don't have the capacity to switch back and forth or have hybrid hearings. We're just conducting video hearings. If you specifically need a non-video hearing, then you're going to have to go on a different calendar on a different day because, quite frankly, uh, we're trying to move everything by video because we think it's appropriate for the safety and security of, uh, of everyone in the courtroom and in the courthouse not just the participants, but also our court personnel. And so those people will go on a different calendar on a different day. And quite frankly, so far, I've been really successful in getting most people to agree that video hearings are satisfactory. You know, we've done some of the same things and, and we have even come up with an FAQ sheet because people seem to have the same problems over and over and over again, how to get their audio and video correct with WebEx. So we send that out as well as a, with our notices of video hearings. Now I have done some in-person hearings and we'll talk about that in a little bit later, but most of ours have been done by video and most of what we have done kind of like you, we've done a little of everything it seems. Yeah. And, and you and I will put on our website, 
at goodjudgepod.com. Uh, we will put our, uh, you know, our basic form that we use to give notice of hearing and uh, also give instructions about WebEx and Zoom, we'll put that on the website so that people can just, you know, use that as a go-by if they want to, or at least see how we're doing it. So tell me this, when you started criminal proceeding, do you start it, whether it be a sentencing or a probation revocation or whatever, do you do anything different putting it on the record than you would have PC pre-COVID? I do. I do. Um, I feel like that it's really important, again, thinking about if these proceedings should come back at some point down the line, maybe two years from now or sometime long after this uh, COVID emergency has, has concluded. You mean like 404B or like if it's the prior transaction or prior conviction? Exactly. Or even if we had a challenge to, let's say, the validity of a proceeding that's conducted uh, by video under COVID, one of those inevitable challenges that we're all anticipating may come at some point in time. Um, if we had that, I just feel like it might be helpful to have something on the record, A, to remind us that it's a proceeding that took place during the COVID emergency, and B, um, to at least talk about what the procedures were that we were using at the time. So I started every hearing with a little uh, soliloquy that a lot of people in my courtroom can probably recite by heart uh, that essentially says this proceeding is being conducted pursuant to an order of judicial emergency that was issued by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Georgia and also a concurrent order issued by the Chief Judge of the Superior Court of Cobb County that allows these proceedings to be conducted by video. Uh, they are being taken down by a court reporter as required by law, and I usually give the name of the court reporter, uh, and uh, they are being conducted in an open courtroom setting. And the way that I accomplish an open courtroom setting in most cases is that I am actually seated in my courtroom. And so I will say that I'm seated in courtroom 7200 of the Superior Court building in Cobb County. And that courtroom is open to the public, although we do not have any spectators currently in the courtroom or something along those lines. And, uh, uh, and then I'll say, although there are some court personnel in the courtroom or something like that, I just put that little that little notation at the beginning of every hearing, even if it's a plea, even if it's something that's just routine, so that, like I said, later on in, in the future, uh, I'll know that this was a proceeding we conducted under those procedures. You know, I think it's probably hard for all of us to believe that right now we might actually forget this one day. We might actually forget <laughs> five and 10 years from now that there was such a thing as a COVID pandemic and a judicial emergency associated with it. So what you're doing, frankly, is better than what I'm doing. I'm not doing that as, as well as I should. Um, through conversations we've had off, off mic, I have tried to get better at it, but I understand it's, it's, it's weird when you have five and six hearings and you do it again and again and again and again, but it's just like going through the other uh, Boykin rights and things that you normally go through. It just becomes a matter of habit. Yeah, it really does. And I try to do the same thing in civil cases, particularly if it's, if it's being taken down, if it's not, obviously uh, it may not be worthwhile, but uh, I do just let the parties know that we're doing it pursuant to a judicial order. The other thing I was going to say too, Wade, and you and I've talked about this is, Something that I started doing, and it was really more shorthand for me, again, to safeguard in case something came up in the future, um, on, on orders and, and other things that I am signing during this period of time. So basically anything to which I'm affixing my signature. I try to put a little a little mark underneath the case number on whatever document it is I'm signing. So on the front page under the case number, civil action or criminal action number, I, I put a little CV in a circle, uh, which is not very sophisticated, but it's a good shorthand for me. I put a CV in a circle underneath the, uh, the, the case number, uh, and that just stands for coronavirus. And it just lets me know that this is a document that I signed during the period of the judicial emergency. And as soon as the judicial emergency order is lifted, I'll stop putting that notation on documents. All right. So let me ask you some questions. Do you have your court reporters present in the courtroom or present on WebEx? All of mine uh, so far have been on WebEx, and I'll have to say it's been fairly successful. If we have a, a problem with audio, 
they can, they can actually appear on the screen and they can either wave at me or they can jump on uh, the audio and let me know that they're having trouble hearing the parties. But I actually have them uh, take everything down by WebEx. They're usually in the courthouse in their offices downstairs, uh, which is probably a more conducive environment anyway to taking down proceedings. But, uh, yeah, they've been doing it by WebEx. So, you know, this is way down in the weeds, but something we haven't really discussed much. But, you know, these recordings get saved, at least in WebEx, to a folder. And those folders have a bunch of gobbledygook and like the date on them. And if you don't know, if you ever needed that recording again for anything, one of the things that that we've done is we've actually developed a situation where our court reporters are actually renaming the proceedings to accurately reflect what they are, that what they were. For example, AM sentencing on August 25th or Smith v. Jones from July 30th. So they're actually renaming the WebEx file itself as it's stored? Yeah, because we think that, that if we ever needed it for anything, we're trying very, very hard to stop the recording at the end of one hearing and start it at the next. Maybe not at a sentencing or a, a calendar call of any sort, but if we're having individuals, say, for example, domestic hearings, we're trying to be very adamant to stop the recording and start the recording so that if anybody ever needs it, they don't need a humongous file that represents the whole day. They just need a piece of that file. Yeah, that makes that makes really good sense. That's a whole lot more useful in the future than, like you said, a, a whole day's worth of pleadings. You know, you've been talking a little bit about what you've been doing. Let me jump on in here and say that I've done a lot of the same things. I'll be honest with you. I've not done the CV in a circle, but and that's a really good idea. But I have had my court reporters, sometimes they are present in the courtroom. Sometimes they are present outside the courtroom. And we have had sort of everything in between so that we have a court reporter engaged and involved so that we have traditional transcripts should that ever become relevant. But we also have the hard recording and we know where we can find that should that ever become relevant. What we're going to do is we're going to take an external hard drive and download all of those recordings that are two months old or whatever the, the time frame we choose and keep recording them into a hard drive and deleting them off of the computer so that we can continue to save our recordings in a way that, that makes sense. Now, as it relates to hearings, we have had, I have had every kind of hearing you can imagine. I've had criminal hearings. I've had civil hearings. I've had domestic hearings. We've done, we've done probation revocations. It has been really nice to have the, our local jails participate in this program much more eagerly than I would have initially thought. But I don't know about you, Tane, but we've looked at the numbers locally. PC, pre-COVID, we had X number of people in jail awaiting felony you know, court. We now have double what we had in March and January and February. And we don't have the ability to provide that release valve to that system the way we once did. So it is, I know the sheriffs in our circuit are very grateful. Anytime we can find a way to either release people or sentence people or whatever we need to do to get them out of the local jails. It's just, it's been very, very, it's been a very difficult process. So let's talk, um, let's talk hardware. You want to talk hardware? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about what our physical setups are uh, in the courtroom because I think yours and mine are different. So, do you use the big Cisco video unit that we um, some of us got for, as a part of the DOC program, or are you using something else? Um, I, I'm basically using uh, laptop computers. Uh, which are fed into the monitors in our courtroom. So we have some flat screen TV monitors that, you know, hang over the jury box and so forth. Uh, and essentially that's the way we're conducting. So, so the camera that is focused on me is a camera coming from quite frankly, an ancient laptop uh, that we had laying around and it really just functions as the camera. I mean, it, it hooks to zoom or WebEx, whatever we're using. And I have it sitting up on top of my, uh, uh, on top of my uh, bench where it can get a decent view of, of me. And then I also have a larger monitor sitting to the left of it, just a computer monitor that gives me a better view of the faces of the parties and the witnesses and things like that. So I always tell them at the beginning, 
uh, folks, if I'm looking off to the left, I'm not looking out into the distance and losing uh, interest in what you're talking about. I'm actually looking at a larger monitor screen. Um, and I think those things are important. I mean, I, I think it's important to tell people, hey, look, I'm going to mute you every once in a while. That is to improve the sound quality for everyone. But if you need to make an objection or say something, you can wave and get my attention and we'll unmute you or you can unmute yourselves and and we'll let you uh, let you speak. But I, I just think it's important to let people know, hey, look, just because we're doing this by video doesn't mean that, you know, it's it's not fairly much the same as a hearing. And I try to put those things on the record too, quite frankly, uh, so that the future record is is clear that we were giving people the opportunity to be heard. So you have another camera po pointing outbound, in other words, showing the room? Another laptop, quite frankly, just, just kind of sitting there to show the room. Now, for us, since we're not having people come live very much in the courtroom at all, um, we don't use that very much. But for example, on arraignment day for criminal calendars, you know, we'll have an odd straggler show up you know, who just didn't see the notification that said, please appear by video. And so we'll have two or three people who'll come in and we'll, you know, the, the camera sits up on the podium. And so they can be seen standing up in the audience out there and the sound quality is fairly good. And we'll just have them stand up and do whatever they need to do. So yeah, we've got another, another camera focused on them. So you've talked about broadcasting your proceedings basically on the big screen in the courtroom in your open courtroom. Because, you know, the open courtroom requirement doesn't get, I guess, obviated for like, you know, my 50 cent word doesn't, right. doesn't get ignored because of this. Now, let me ask you this. One of your colleagues, I think, is actually live streaming onto maybe YouTube. Yeah, more than one of my colleagues are doing that. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think they've gotten some guidance that says that that's acceptable for them to do. And, you know, I think it's fine. I, I just frankly, it seems more comfortable to me for me to be in my courtroom conducting the proceedings and have, you know, the doors of my courtroom open like they always are. And um, we actually have a, the way our courtroom is constructed is different than most people's. We have a window that, I mean, most people have a door that has a window in it, but we have a window that you can actually step to from outside the courtroom and see what proceedings are going on. So even if people didn't want to come in, they can stand outside that window and watch what I'm doing, but they wouldn't be able to hear. But yeah, I have, I have colleagues who are live streaming. I know some in some other jurisdictions who are doing the same live streaming to YouTube. The, the big key, if you want to do that, is that you do have to put notifications on an official uh, place where you would normally give notifications of those types of hearings. And so for those people, I think what they're doing is they're uh, on the official web page and uh, Facebook page and, and uh, the other things for Cobb Superior Court. They're putting all their notifications of hearings on there and where they'll be live streaming them so that any members of the public could see those. All right, so we've talked a good bit about WebEx, and we're using WebEx a lot. And you mentioned Zoom. We have also used Zoom somewhat. When I use Zoom, I usually use that to interview children. I have done a number of interviews of children by consent in domestic relations cases. But I'll tell you, and I've got to make a huge shout-out to Deputy Randy Harden from the Richmond County Sheriff's Office. Shout-out to Randy. Yeah, he, go, Randy. He knew nothing about this, and when all this broke, he decided that he was going to learn it, and he has been instrumental in our entire circuit, really, being able to get online, being able to save the recordings, being, being able to be functional in the era of the coronavirus and doing things by video. So Randy gets a huge shout-out. He, he's chosen to, to – learn all of that and and as we talked about we've gotten our sheriffs to install computers with decent video cameras and microphones and some sound deadening foam have you ever been in a jail um tank <laughs> well i've been on the right side of the bars but i have been in a jail on a number of occasions and uh most of them are made of cinder blocks and they tend to bounce a lot of loud noise around uh, that is my experience Shout out to our sheriff's offices who have gotten some sound deadening foam and they have really, 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 really helped our ability to comprehend what it is that everybody is saying. But being able to have those those units inside the jails has proved invaluable. 
Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, but a shout out to the department of corrections mm. who was ahead of the coronavirus curve on this. We got started just like y'all did with, uh, broadcasting from the DOC facilities and got used to that. And then when Corona came around, you and I and some other jurisdictions had already had some good experience with being able to broadcast from the facilities. And we had brought our sheriffs in like, like I think you had too. They were comfortable with it because they had used it on the DOC end before and seen that it worked. And so uh, we did the same. They, they very, uh, very willingly set up some, uh, some rooms over at the jail with some some sound attenuation. That's my 50 cent word uh, to, yeah, to, to muffle the sounds out there and keep it quiet. And I will, I ha- I same here. I have a huge shout out to uh, several of our deputies, deputy Floyd and some others out there who've learned to run that equipment for us and, and run it at jail. And also, and that's an interesting thing to ask too, Wade. I mean, in my courtroom, uh, I'm really lucky that my staff attorney is much younger than I am. And so uh, he actually understands how to run video equipment and Zoom and and he has taught himself WebEx. And uh, so Ryan Brown, my staff attorney, uh, uh, runs that for me in the courtroom, which is great. And then we kind of co-host if it's on Zoom, for example, then you know, I have the ability to mute people and so does he. And then that way, if he leaves the room, I can still run the, uh, you know, run the meeting at the same time. So we've talked about some of our successes. Let's talk about some failures. Um, the the main failure that we have had has been problems with connectivity and it's usually been on the, uh, litigants end, not usually on our end. Now I'll be honest with you in one of our courthouses, they, when we had the courthouse built, it was relatively new courthouse, the ports, I don't know if that's the right word, the ports in the floor where you put a, the cat five or cat six cable, you know, the one that looks like a really fat phone cord. Right. They had some throttles on them. So they would only let so much data go through at any given time. I'm sure that that's a security Uh thing to prevent, you know, whatever, streaming, whatever, thieving, whatever all happens with that. But we had to get those throttles taken off because what they would do is that the, the video would basically essentially freeze and there would be this one second delay between what they say and what I hear. Oh, so we had folks in the jail saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. No, sir. I'm 28. I'm 28. They would actually repeat it twice because I couldn't hear the first part. Now the recording was catching both versions, but I was only, (laughs) only able to hear the second. So that took a little while to get through that. We tried to get some of our lawyers, particularly to understand that relying on Wi-Fi is not awesome. Um, if you can yeah. plug directly into your modem or router or whatever you want to call it, your internet source, instead of relying on Wi-Fi, then it is a dramatically better connection. And we have gotten some some of our local lawyers have actually said, okay, this is going on long enough now. I'm going to invest in some video conferencing equipment where I can zoom in the camera and we can sit at the table and all of those sorts of things. And it has really proved invaluable when they will connect directly to the Internet. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think I think some of the problems that we've had are simply inevitable problems. I think, you know, the Wi-Fi connectivity issues that we continue to have. I mean, that's quite frankly going to happen. And, and I've realized that I have to ex- exercise a great deal of patience with respect to the technical issues that arise in essentially every hearing. And and quite frankly, it really helps if I sort of laugh it off (laughs) and everybody else sort of laughs it off. And I just say, Hey, this is just what we're living with doing um, hearings by video. I I will tell you though, about one exceedingly archaic and non-technical thing that I've done that actually works this is shocking i know right yeah well i'm kind of old school anyway so uh but 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 what's funny is i was talking to a friend of mine who's a judge in in fulton county earlier today and apparently she had the same idea and is doing the same thing and that is i have made a series of little i'll call them pictographs they're basically they have messages on them and, and most of them have a little picture too and what they're for is to hold up in front of the computer screen when the other person on the other end cannot hear me which happens frequently and they say things like 
please hang up and rejoin the call or please unmute yourself. I cannot hear you. And that one has a little pictograph of a guy with his hand over his mouth. And, and you know, and then, and then I also have one just for fun that says epic fail, um, <laughs> which means I'm about to end this call and we're going to start all over again. But, uh, but anyway, how much time, those- how much time did you spend on that? Not very much. And it, it, it actually, it came out of this. We had this one hearing where the guy on the other end couldn't hear me. And, and so we couldn't communicate. And so I quickly grabbed a Sharpie marker and a piece of paper and I wrote, please hang up and rejoin the call. And I held it up to the screen and he laughed and hung up and rejoined the call and everything was fine. And I thought, well, you know, that's probably going to happen again in the future. So I just went back and wrote it out a little nicer with a Sharpie marker. And then it sort of evolved into putting some little pictures on them and stuff. So I anyway, see you walking around with like a binder full of like, <laughs> you know, unmute yourself, turn on your camera. Well, I guess turn on your camera wouldn't help very much. No, that, one, that wouldn't help at all. But now I have I'll tell about, you, I have about five of them that, that are used on a regular basis. Unmute yourself comes up all the time. I just hold that one up and I don't even say it anymore. I just hold it up. Well, it's a pretty good segue to what I wanted to talk about next. One of the things that we realized early in this process is that if we were going to have hearings, we had things like exhibits and evidence and whatnot, we were going to have, we're going to need the ability to present those in a way that everybody sees them. And so our court administrator, and with sort of copying something the DOC had done, got a relatively inexpensive document camera. And it looks like a kind of a white gooseneck, almost like a lamp. But it, right. what it does is basically you put it on the table and it can zoom in and out and all that. And you put the exhibit sticker on the paper and you and you show it. And then if you need to read it, you can keep zooming in to the first paragraph and moving the paper to where it's on the screen. But you know how we're like the Brady Bunch now and we have all the little squares on the screen of all the participants? Well, this just yes. opens as another square. And so oh, everybody sees it at the same time and they can see, they can read the document. They can see the date. They can whatever – and, and we had, you know, if that document's admitted, that's fine. But then we have the ability to do it. So if you had a cool little document camera like we do in Augusta, you could put your awesome paintings and drawings and distribute them instead of holding them at the screen and trying to get the focus just right. That's a good, that's a good point. And, and I'll just throw this in. And as everybody learns the systems, you'll understand this. But, you know, you do have the capacity to message people on Zoom and on WebEx. And so you can go down to the bottom of the screen and click on message and you can send a message to everyone or to an individual participant. And that is helpful sometimes because sometimes maybe you're having an audio problem on your end and you just need to send a message out to everyone saying, bear with us for a couple of minutes. We're having an audio problem or something like that. Um, you also have the ability, I'm sure you were going to get, get to this, Wade, but uh, you have the ability to share screen, particularly on Zoom, where everyone can see a document that you're sharing and you can share that with them uh, full screen, which makes it a little easier to uh, to read. And we've used that in a lot of cases, too. And then, Wade, are you using any other kind of uh, document system uh, that maybe your clerks uh, have access to or or something along those lines, because we've got something I was going to talk about. Yeah, you go go ahead and talk about it, because I don't think yeah. so. Yeah, what we have is our clerk actually has a document system. I didn't even know about it until COVID came around. And quite frankly, I don't think it had been used until COVID came around. But they have a system called Citrix uh, that, where people can email them documents to the to the clerk of court, the clerk of court essentially sends you out a, uh, an invitation to share like we would do for a zoom uh, proceeding or something like that. And everybody who's involved in the proceeding can share all of those documents. And so it's kind of cool because that way you can say, Hey judge, our plaintiff's exhibit number two, that everyone now has through the, you know, through the Citrix system uh, is what we're going to next. And everyone can click on that email that, that came to them from the clerk and they can all share that document. So it's just another way of, of allowing the participants to go to one place, send the documents and then have them distributed to everyone. That's, what, kind of been, that's a good segue. I was going to ask you, how are you handling exhibits? So I guess that's how you're handling it more often than not. We're yeah, having particularly a, in civil, in civil proceedings. That's, that's really the way we've been trying to handle them for the last month or two. 
So in some of my larger domestic hearings, I had a couple of day domestic hearing actually by by WebEx. And so all the lawyers basically gathered their exhibits, pre-marked them and shared them with one another and then shared them with me. And so everybody would be looking at exhibit one, exhibit two. And if there was something everybody needed to see, it wasn't just like, for example, a financial affidavit. If if you showed the your client your their financial affidavit and say this is defendant's exhibit three, client, do do you ident- can you identify this for me? Yeah, that's my financial aff- affidavit. Your Honor, we seek to admit defendant's exhibit three. Well, everybody's holding it, and so we all have it, and we can consult with it however we need to consult with it at, during the hearing. On the other hand, like I said earlier. We're using our document camera when people we, – sometimes we have people who show up, as you indicated, stragglers that, that, that miss the memo. And rather than, like, send them to their car and get them on their iPhone, we'll let them participate in the hearing in the room. So you'll have one party on video, one party present, or both parties present, both clients gone, you know, all kind of different uh, combinations of who's, who's there and who's virtual. But we're using that document camera a great deal. So – what do you do, Tane, when a lawyer or somebody else objects? I don't want to do a video hearing. You mentioned this earlier, but I want to make sure everybody's hearing this. Sure. So uh, it, it, uh, we've had a lot less of that over the last month or so. I think as people start to get used to doing this, and, and I'll I'll throw a shout out to the uh, to the to the boomer generation um, and the greatest generation, uh, those of whom who are still practicing law, they've come around. Uh, there was some initial resistance, and I had a lawyer today who had one of his associates standing over, you know, setting up the video and everything. But he did his whole hearing. We did an entire divorce proceeding today by Zoom, and this gentleman's probably been practicing law. 50 years or so at least. And, uh, and it was fine. He did a good job uh, managing it on video. But, but I think um, when I have had those objections, like I said, um, we ask them to contact us if they have an objection. It's part of the notice that goes out for video hearing. If they have an objection, basically they are to call my office first because, because what I want to know to begin with is, is it that you don't have the capacity. You don't have a, you know, a computer set up. This is more for pro se people, not for lawyers, but is it that you don't have the ability to do it? Is it just that you don't know how? Because if it's that you don't know how, and that's what they tell us, we say, hey, look, all you got to do is click on this and then we'll walk you through it. Or you can call my staff attorney at the time of the hearing and he will literally walk you through getting onto the Zoom call. Um, and a lot of times they say, oh, okay, well, if that's the case, that's fine. And yesterday we had a, a guy call and say, hey, look, my son has an off-brand phone. He's not sure he's going to be able to get on. He may need to use my computer. And we said, hey, if his phone doesn't work and you're close by, we'll give him you know, we'll give him 10 minutes to go get set up on the computer. It's fine. And the guy said, oh, okay, that's fine. And as it turned out, it wasn't an issue. But, but, but if we have an actual objection to video proceedings at all, which I, quite frankly, I don't think I've had at all since this started. But if we have that, um, what we will tell them is, hey, look, we'll put you on a date, you know, in the future. And, and we'll try to make it fairly soon. But I want to limit the number of people who are coming to the courthouse. And I had I had one where somebody said, hey, we want to bring this defendant over. It's a, it's a non-negotiated plea. It's a blind plea. And all of his family wants to come and sit in the courtroom and support. And I didn't know how much all of the family was, but I knew it was more people than I was going to be comfortable having in the courtroom at the same time. And it wasn't just for me, and it's not just for court personnel. It's for their own safety. And so here's what we said. We said, look, if they will all join on the video, I will literally be able to see each one of their faces throughout this hearing. Now, they may not speak if they're, if they're not going to be witnesses, they're not going to speak, but I'll be able to see them all. If they come in the courtroom, they're all going to have to wear masks. They're all going to have to be spread out all over the courtroom, and I'm not going to be able to see them or know who they are or anything. I said, go back to the family and explain that that's how we're going to do it, and, and you know, by video, that's how they will be. Once that got explained to them, they said, okay, fine, we'll all, we'll all appear by video. The lawyer, the defendant, the family, everybody appeared by video. And, and let me add one other thing, Wade, because this is a weird thing. 
I actually had, I, I actually recently had a criminal uh, non-negotiated plea that resulted in somebody going to jail. They were not in the courtroom when this plea took place. And I just simply said, you are to report to the Cobb County Adult Detention Center by 10 o'clock p.m. this evening. Paperwork will go over there. Uh, they will know you're supposed to report, and failure to do that will be a violation of the uh, of your uh, conditions of probation. Guy showed up, turned himself in, went to jail. So I, when people say, well, we can't do it if it's a non-negotiated plea because somebody might go to jail. Well, they might, but... You can order them to go to jail, and if they don't show up, you go get them. So let's go through, because I know we're running long, and we've still got a yeah. lot to talk about. Interpreters. Have you had any cases involving interpreters during the COVID where you've had everybody remotely? And if so, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I've actually had several. Um, I'll give a shout-out. It's, it's the evening of shout-outs, but, you know, <laughs> this is it. Well, I mean, we're celebrating the, the winds of COVID here. Um, I'll give a shout-out to my interpreter, Paul Williamson, who's one of the most incredible simultaneous uh, interpreters and translators I've ever heard. Um, but, but Paul came to me and he said, Judge, I, I have an idea. Tell me what you think about this. Because, I mean, think about this. You're on video. Uh, if you don't have a way of doing it differently, you're going to have uh, interpreter, you know, I, I, I ask a question, interpreter interprets it in Spanish, defendant hears it in Spanish, uh, answers in Spanish, interpreter then interprets it back into English, and then I go on and ask the next question. The problem with that is everybody who's involved in that process has to have their microphones open, their sound open so that they can hear. You're inevitably going to get echo. You're going to get Spanish over English. You're going to have all these problems. So my interpreter came to me and he's, you know, so smart. I, I would never have thought of it's so simple, but I never would have thought of it. He said, Judge, if I can just have a phone line to the jail for the person that I'm interpreting for, and he can listen to me on the phone, and I can listen to him on the phone, then all you will hear is my interpretation of his Spanish and, and, and his, you know, answers and my questions that I'm asking or that, you know, you're asking. You'll only hear the English, and we won't have everybody talking over each other. And I can do simultaneous interpretation that way even if I'm remote. And I said, that's a fantastic idea. And so that's what we do during the hearing. The inmate at the jail has a phone line that he's talking to the interpreter on. They're talking to each other. And you're what, and you can see him, right? And I can see him, and I can I can see the interpreter, and I can see uh, the the person he's interpreting for. Um, I just don't hear the Spanish. But but let me be clear, I don't have to hear the Spanish. The I'm not I'm not the interpreter. So the guy who's certified and swears that he's going to say everything that the person who's being interpreted for says. It's just like the court reporter's uh, transcript is the official transcript of the proceedings. His interpretation of the Spanish is going to trump my seventh grade Spanish every day. And if you want to know what, uh, what authority Tane has for that, that's actually in the rules, the interpreter rules that exist um, from the Supreme Court because you're using a certified. And you said that, and I want to make sure everybody hears it. As long as the interpreter is certified in that language – you don't have to record the foreign language. If, however, you were using something less than certified, you do have to have an audio recording of the other language. So, Like, like when I had to find an interpreter who spoke K'iche. Is that a language? <laughs> it, I didn't know that it was, but I know now that it is. Yeah, we found they weren't exactly certified, but they were very, very helpful in that case, I can tell you. All right, real quick, let me ask you a couple of questions, and then I'm going to weigh in on my thoughts, and then we're going to wrap this up for everybody. How do you deal with people who call in and claim COVID? I mean, if they are the party, if they're a witness, lawyers, what do you do? Sure. I mean, like if they're supposed to appear for something and they say they have COVID? Right. Well, because we are allowing many people to appear by video and, and in fact, encouraging them to appear by video, that is not necessarily an excuse. I mean, we may ask them some questions about the level of their 
uh, you know, their current illness, but because they're not coming to the courthouse, it's not necessarily going to be an excuse. We'll say, okay, great. We'll get you on video and, you know, you'll be able to be here just as if you didn't weren't contagious. If it's someone who, you know, for whatever reason needed to be in the courtroom, I mean, I do the same as I would always do with uh, anybody who's claiming they can't come to court because of illness. I'd say, well, I'm going to need some documentation of that uh, from a doctor and uh, they'll have to provide me with something. So I know you're not using people, not using, you're not having people come live in the courtroom. We are to a certain degree. Now, one of the things that we have done, for example, if you had a sentencing calendar that normally would have, I don't know, 15 cases on it. We set so many of them at 9, so many of them at 9.30, so many of them at 10, so many of them at 10.30, so that we have a role, instead of having the room full and picking cases off the calendar in random order, we're trying very hard. We've had some times that we've had dead times because two or three of them canceled or you know, withdrew their plea or whatever. We've done that, but we've been trying to be very careful to, to target the times on calendars. Yeah, same here. I, what I've done on let's let's take for example what used to be a mass uh, criminal trial calendar. You know the calendar call that we all are so used to over the years. Um, the way that we do those now is I send out a list of all of the currently active criminal cases that I have that that are coming up for that quote unquote trial calendar. Even though we're not having a trial, we're labeling it as a status calendar, and we're saying. You can email us your status on this case, and as long as we receive it by, you know, Thursday or Friday or whatever the day before it is, um, you don't have to appear. But if we don't get something, your time slot to appear for for the uh, calendar is 930, 1030, whatever it is, same as you. We're breaking them into blocks. What normally happens is most of the people... Uh, give us their status electronically, and we don't even have to have them come in. But if they don't, the lawyers have to appear in their time slot, and we do the same thing we would do if they were in the courtroom. Hey, what's the status of your case? What are, what do we need to do to get it ready for trial? You know, et cetera. Well, that brings up the thing that we're all waiting for the other shoe to drop on, and this will sort of end on this tonight, jury trials. Now, I would imagine that y'all are thinking at some point in the not-so-distant future – thinking, hoping, whatever the right word is, that we may be back to trying cases in front of juries. Y'all have started to think through that process, yes? Absolutely. Uh, we've. <laughs> I'd say we started thinking about that on uh, March the 13th or 14th of this year, in fact, as to how, if things didn't change, we would try to get back to being able to have trials. Well, let me ask you this. Just as a general matter, without trying to get in too deeply in the weeds of how you're going to summon jurors and where you're going to put them and all that, where are you going to put the jury that you select? Let's say you have 12 to 14 people are you going to, you can't really put them in the jury box, the, the same box that you've been using, right? This is what we call thinking outside the box, Wade. Ah, um, see what you did there. <laughs> ah, don't you look? Yeah. Uh, we're, we've, we've gone around, we've looked at our courtrooms. We've actually physically measured our courtrooms to see how we might could accommodate 12, 13, 14 people. And what we've come to the conclusion of is that in our jurisdiction, it's going to have to be in the gallery. It's going to have to be in the area where you would normally have spectators and people waiting. Do you have any concerns that they will be able to see the witness well, see facial expressions and whatnot? Yes, we do. <laughs> and we're trying to figure that out now as to um, things like how can we have the witnesses simultaneously broadcast on a screen uh, that would be closer to the juror so that they can have a little bit better view. Some of the jurors will be on one side of the courtroom and some will be on the other. So, you know, their angles are going to make a difference. And so we're trying to figure out logistically how also, we would lay the court, courtroom out because think about it. As a trial progresses, everybody's going to have their back to you. So whatever evidence they may be showing to the jury, you're not going to see. Their tables are going to be facing the wrong way. So you're going to have to rearrange that. So I think everybody needs to take stock of, okay, what might a trial look like if we go forward with it? So let me make sure I understand. So you're going to put the jury in the gallery. Right. So you're going to have the lawyers basically turn their backs to you. Basically so. Where's the witness going to be facing the rear of the courtroom? 
we're either going to have our witness stand in the same place, but have it, as I said, have a camera on those witnesses and have a, a video screen closer to the jury, or we may be able to put the witness at the end of the jury box so closer to where the jurors would actually physically be sitting so that they'll be able to see the witness physically. And we may actually do both of those things. What are you thinking about where you're going to put the public when, when the family members and whatnot want to come in? Where are you going to put them and how are you going to keep them separated from jurors? What we're hoping is that we will be able to live stream uh, the proceedings into another courtroom. Um, so that anybody who wanted to come watch could could sit in that courtroom and watch. As I said, there's also a window in the back of my courtroom so you can see the proceedings, although you might not be able to hear what's going on, so that you could make sure that what's being broadcast in that other courtroom is actually what's going on in, in my courtroom. Um, and But think about this. It will necessitate someone being at the door, a bailiff or someone else of that other courtroom, to make sure that witnesses aren't coming into that court, uh, into that uh, viewing place to watch the proceedings. Same as we would try to keep an eye out uh, in a sequestration situation. But, you know, some of those people may be victims' families. Some of those people may be defendants' families. Are you concerned about unsupervised mayhem in courtroom two? Absolutely. And I think we're going to have to make provisions that, you know, there's a deputy there to watch over things that there, you know, as I said, are bailiffs there to, to, to screen to a certain extent who comes in and out of those. So I think there are some things that are going to have to really be thought out before we get to the point where we can, we can physically jump into jury trials. You know, Tane, we've talked about this before, but, but one of the things that we're going to have to do as a system going forward is think literally outside the box and there are going to be different ways that we do things. We have that ability. We have the support of, of like, for example, the appellate courts. And I think the legislature is supportive, but they're not going to change the Constitution. So long story short, people are going to have to rethink how they are looking at, at conducting a jury trial. I know you and I have been tasked, I don't know if that's the right word, to start thinking about is there a possibility to do any portion of this virtually to use the technology, whether it's just jury selection, whether, you know, maybe it's just civil cases, I don't know. But that's something that, that we have been working on for quite a while, and we're going to continue to work on going forward. Folks, right. we, have, we have taken up a lot of your time, and I know that there are a lot of issues that you find interesting and important in this arena. Yeah, let me say one one more thing too as we close. Um, I want to encourage, uh, particularly the judges who are listening out there, um, if you want to go back and listen to our first COVID <laughs> broadcast that Wade and I did in March or early April, late March, early April, um, and think about how far we've come because there were some things that we're doing on a regular basis today that I quite frankly couldn't even conceive how we were going to do, uh, you know, six months ago when this all started. And I, I just commend all of you who have put your collective heads together out there and come up with some brilliant ways of doing things that are very innovative. Hats off to the lawyers, hats off to everybody who's participated um, because we've come an awfully long way in a really tough situation in a, in a fairly short time. Folks, think about reaching out to your community, whether it's through advertisement or through social media or whatever. Let potential jurors know before they are the potential juror that you're going to take care of them, that you're going to have PPE available, that you're going to uh, manage social distancing let them know what it is that you that you get it because you're going to need them in a very serious way come September 15th or October 15th or January 1st or whenever we start picking juries Tane and I don't have any inside any side any inside goop on that but whenever it is you're going to need jurors and if you get that message out there strong and loud I think it's going to be invaluable for people to hear now if you need us, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now, Tane, all of a sudden, our friends who listen to our podcast have started responding. Hey, great. They're giving us some ideas, so it's not me and you going duck, duck, goose over who's got to come up with an idea next. 
Well, but, they're just tired of our ideas, Wade. Well, that could be it, too. <laughs> Please continue to contact us by email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com or through our website, goodjudgepod.com. We're going to be always willing and able to receive all of those great ideas that, that you have for us to cover. And we, we, we plan on including some of our friends and guests on some of our subsequent episodes. We've had some great ideas, and it, it's very, very helpful when you do that. You know, Tane, we, we sort of started, let's end this where we started it. The five judicial emergency orders, part of them have included some, um, not relaxing of rules, but maybe changing of rules pertaining to the use of video in our proceedings. We're going to have those for the remainder of this judicial emergency, but slowly but surely, we're, we're going to have to figure out how to try a case. And, it, and, and if people haven't started thinking about that, if they're going to pick juries in groups of 12, if they're going to turn the room around backwards, as you discussed, if they're going to use plexiglass and whatever, the, the time has long since passed for us to think about that and, and to come up with some concrete ideas. Because I think, and maybe you have a different idea, but I think that is imminent. Do you agree? I do agree. And I think, you know, you can't wait for somebody else to come up with those ideas. You're going to have to come up with them because if nothing else, the physical plan of every single circuit is completely different. And so you're going to have to figure out the logistics of what's going to work in your jurisdiction. Cause what I do in Cobb's not going to work in Augusta and what Wade does in Augusta isn't going to work, you know, uh, down in Columbus, et cetera. So folks, we want to thank you, as always, for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And hey, let's stay safe out there, folks. Thanks for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This podcast was originally the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, who is the executive director of ICJE. Special thanks to the University of Georgia College of Law, and specifically to Mr. Jim Henneberger. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, for editing out as much of our stupidity as he can. But he can't get it all. We are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead NJO, that's New Judge Orientation, for new Superior Court Judges and for their support of this project. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions of CSCJ, ICJE, the UGA College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. These are barely the opinions of Wade Padgett and Tang Kell, so we definitely aren't speaking for anyone else. You can contact us on our website, goodjudgepod.com. Or send us an email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. So, Tane, I guess we better bang the gavel on this episode. Anything else you feel like we need to say? Hey, when do we drop the mics, Wade? Actually, these are expensive mics. Maybe we should just lay them down gently. <laughs>